today comes from Acts chapter 1, sorry, chapter 17. <laughs> That'd be interesting, wouldn't it, Karen? You'd be saying, where's he going? Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. You'll see the reason that we're reading this uh, as you go through, uh, because it gives us the background to 1 Thessalonians. Thanks, Karen. In Thessalonica, Acts 17, 1-9. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them with, from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As you can see, uh, the part that we just read was when Paul was uh, with his mates in Thessalonica and uh, as he went there and spoke to them. Uh, the letter of uh, 1 Thessalonians is Paul writing back to this church after he's left. Uh, so you'll see that in a moment as well. But you'll see that there's, uh, he's preached to them, he's spoken to them about Jesus. Uh, things have got bad and they've had to escape and taken off. So there's a good background for us to think about uh, when Paul writes back to them. Uh, we learn a whole lot more about what Paul thought about the Thessalonians a little bit later throughout the letter, but it just sets the framework for us as we're about to head into thinking about the book itself. So today what we're going to be doing is just giving a bit of an overview of the book as we head into it, and then next week we're going to start working through it together. Uh, I don't know about you, but many of you will know that uh, last week was my birthday, and if you can work out, I was in year nine, about 83. I'm 50. Uh, I turned 50 last week. Uh, it seems to be a big one, doesn't it, when you turn 50? The big O. Uh, I'm not sure whether it should be that way, but I do know that uh, when you turn 50, things start to get a little bit closer for you, don't you? Like that over 55 retirement villages. They're only five years away. They're getting very close, aren't they? You know, I saw the other day, there was an over 50s village. I'm thinking, strike! I'm in that category. I can go and be in one of those villages now. Whew, over 50. It's terrible, isn't it? Uh, so there are some interesting parts about turning 50, and there's interesting parts about having a birthday. But one of the, uh, one of the great things I think about having a birthday, one of the nice things about having a birthday, is that uh, people often, normally, are supposed to speak nicely about you. Uh, yeah, Harper, no, I know. That's why we didn't let you talk. 
I know, there's a good reason for that. I saw you move, I canned it, finished it, no more. Uh, but they're supposed to, aren't they? They're supposed to say nice things about that to you. They're supposed to talk to you things. Uh, you get nice cards, don't you? And people write encouraging things in them for you. Uh, my kids wrote cards for me. And I thought, these were beautiful. Uh, I should frame them. I should frame them so that I can keep them. So that day when I'm in the nursing home and I have to change my nappy, I could hand that to them and say, look, you did love me once. It was really nice, wasn't it? Uh, but you can frame them, can't you? You can hold on to those things. They're lovely, aren't they? They're very special. And I think they're a nice time to do that at birthdays. Uh, we speak nicely about people. The other place we do that is funerals. Birthdays and funerals. We tend to speak nicely about people and we give encouraging words to them. Why don't we do that all the time? Why don't we encourage each other more regularly? Well, you see, the letter of 1 Thessalonians is Paul's letter to the people in Thessalonica to encourage them. It's an encouragement letter. Of all the letters that you find in the New Testament, it is the most encouraging one. One that Paul is very, very encouraging, and secondly, the people he's writing to, he's very encouraged about. You see, Paul dearly and deeply loves the people in Thessalonica. You're going to find that. If you read through 1 Thessalonians, you can't help feel that Paul's heart is with them. And as you read through it, you recognise that Paul uh, wants to encourage them in their faith, their hope and their love. And he wants to encourage them in that in Jesus. And he writes a great letter to them an encouragement letter to them. Uh, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to just quickly have a look at an overview of that. We're going to put it all together. We're going to show you a clip that will do that for you. Uh, and then I'm going to come back and have a, a think about what we just saw and then also think about encouragement. Think about how we can encourage one another. So Dave, we can hit that one. That'd be great. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. This is most likely the earliest letter that we have from Paul, and the backstory for it is found in the book of Acts. It's where Paul and his co-worker Silas went to the ancient Greek city of Thessalonica. And after just one month of telling people the good news about Jesus, a large number of Jewish and Greek people gave their allegiance to Jesus, and they formed the first church community there. But trouble was brewing. Paul's announcement of the risen Jesus as the true Lord of the world, it led to suspicion. So the Christians in Thessalonica were eventually accused of defying Caesar, the Roman emperor, when they said that there is another king, Jesus. And this led to a persecution that got so intense, Paul and Silas actually had to flee from the city. And this was painful for them because they loved the people there so much. And so this letter is Paul's attempt to reconnect with the Christians in Thessalonica after he got a report from Timothy that they were doing more than okay, they were flourishing despite this intense persecution. He designed the letter to have two main movements. First is a celebration of their faithfulness to Jesus, and then he challenges them to keep growing as followers of Jesus. And then these two movements are surrounded by three prayers. The letter opens with a thanksgiving prayer. The two movements are linked together by a transitional prayer. And then the whole thing is concluded with a final prayer. It's a beautiful design. 
Paul opens by giving thanks and celebrating the Thessalonians' faith, their love for others, and their hope in Jesus despite persecution. He goes on to retell the story of their conversion, how they used to be idolatrous polytheists, and they were living in a culture where all of life was permeated by institutions and practices that honored the Greek and Roman gods. And Paul talks about how they turned away from those idols to serve the living and true God, and that they're now waiting for the coming of God's Son from heaven. So in a city like Thessalonica, transferring your allegiance to the Creator God of Israel and to King Jesus, this came at a cost. Isolation from your neighbors, hostility from your family. But for the Thessalonians, the overwhelming love of Jesus who died for them and the hope of his return, it made it all worth it. Paul then retells the story of his mission in Thessalonica and of the dear friendships he formed with the people. He uses really intimate metaphors here. They treated him like their child, and he became like their mother and like their father. He says, we were happy to share with you not only the good news from God, but our very selves, because we came to dearly love you. Paul reminds us here that the essence of Christian leadership is not about power and having influence. It's about healthy relationships and humble, loving service. He reminds them that he never asked for money. He simply came to love and serve them in the name of Jesus. And so Paul moves on to reflect on their common persecution. Just like Jesus was rejected and killed by his own people, so now Paul is persecuted by his fellow Jews, and the Thessalonians are facing hostility from their Greek neighbors. And Paul draws a strange comfort from knowing that together their sufferings are a way of participating in the story of Jesus' own life and death. Paul then shares about the anguish he experienced when he heard of the hardships the Thessalonians had after he and Silas fled. So he sent Timothy to support them and see how they were doing. And to his joy, Timothy discovered that they were going strong. They were faithful to Jesus. They were full of love for God and their neighbors. And they longed to see Paul as much as he longed to see them. And so Paul concludes with a prayer for endurance. And what's cool is that he introduces here the topics he's going to address in the letter's second half. He prays that God will grow their capacity to love, that he'll strengthen their commitment to holiness as they fix their hope on the return of King Jesus. So he opens the letter's second movement by challenging them to a life that's consistent with the teachings of Jesus. So this means, first of all, a serious commitment to holiness and sexual purity. In contrast to the promiscuous, sexually destructive culture around them, they are to follow Jesus' teaching about experiencing the beauty and the power of sex within the haven of a committed marriage covenant relationship. God takes sexual misbehavior seriously, Paul says. It dishonors and destroys people and their dignity. Following Jesus also means a commitment to loving and serving others. So Paul instructs them that Christians should be known in the city as reliable people who work really hard, not just to make money, but so that they can have resources to provide for themselves and to generously share with people who are in need. After this, Paul addresses a number of questions the Thessalonians had raised about the future hope of Jesus' return. So some Christians in the church had recently died, most likely killed as martyrs, and their friends and family are wondering about their fate when Jesus returns. And so Paul makes it clear that despite their grief and loss, not even death can separate Christians from the love of Jesus. When he returns as king, he will call both the living and the dead to himself. And Paul uses a really cool image here. He uses language that would normally describe how a city subject to the Roman Caesar would send out a delegation to welcome or meet his arrival. Paul then applies this 
imagery to the arrival of King Jesus. He too will be greeted by a delegation of his people who will go to meet the Lord in the air as they welcome and escort him back to this world where he'll establish his kingdom of justice and peace. Paul then wants the Thessalonians to see how this hope should motivate faithfulness to Jesus. So he pokes fun at the famous Roman propaganda that it's Caesar who brings peace and security. Of course, Rome's peace came through violence, through enslaving their enemies, and military occupation. And Paul warns that Jesus will return as king one day and confront this kind of injustice. Followers of King Jesus should live in the present as if that future day is already here. Despite the nighttime of human evil around them, they should stay sober and awake as the light of God's kingdom dawns here on earth as it is in heaven. Paul closes all of these exhortations like he began with a hopeful prayer, that God would permeate their lives with his holiness, that he would set them apart to be completely devoted and blameless until the return of King Jesus. First Thessalonians reminds us that from the very beginning, following Jesus as king has produced a truly countercultural or holy way of life. And this will sometimes generate suspicion and conflict among our neighbors. But the response of Jesus' followers to such hostility should always be love, meeting opposition with grace and generosity. And this way of life, it's motivated by hope in the coming kingdom of Jesus that has already begun in his resurrection from the dead. And so holiness, love, and future hope, that's what 1 Thessalonians is all about. Get all that? <laughs> uh, so you don't have to turn up for the next couple of weeks. You've got it all. Just work through that together. Um, so what we'll be doing over the next couple of weeks is pulling that apart, uh, working through and uh, hitting different sections and working our way through the book and uh, seeing what God's going to teach us through that. Uh, but it's great, isn't it? And it gives you that big picture and you can see what uh, Paul's doing and where he's going. And in a sense, we can see how each bit fits together. And notice the three prayers. They're great, aren't they? Paul prays at the beginning, in the middle, at the end. Uh, and within it and through it is that his love for them and his love for them to grow in their holiness, their love and their hope, or their faithfulness, hope and love. The three, aren't they? Faith, hope and love. Uh, the greatest of these is love from 1 Corinthians. But it's a, it's a great book, isn't it? And uh, we're going to be working through that together over the next couple of weeks and thinking it through. Uh, I think one of the, the great things about it is as you read through it, look at the way that Paul expresses how he feels and his desire for them. Uh, because Paul wants to encourage them to live to please God in every way. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1 he says this, As for other matters, brothers and sisters... We instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. See, Paul's great desire for the Thessalonians is ultimately they live lives that please God. They live lives that bring a smile to God's face. Isn't that the way of putting it, isn't it? Uh, we don't know what God looks like, his spirit. We know what Jesus is like. So if you want to have a think of a picture, it's like putting a smile on Jesus' face. And that we are to live lives that do that. That's a good way to think about everything, isn't it, in one sense? 
You know, we used to have the WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do bracelets. They're just trying to help us to think about how we live. Another way to do it, though, is to think about what would please Jesus, what would bring a smile to his face. Uh, when you go to school and you're thinking you're sitting in the classroom, what would bring a smile to Jesus' face when you're there? Uh, when you're at work during the week and you're having to deal with customers and you're working out how do I relate to them, what would bring a smile to Jesus' face in the way that I related to this person? It's a good way to think about it, isn't it? Just even when you're down the street and you're going into the butcher or you're on the phone and you're waiting and waiting and waiting for that, you know, that call centre to get through, what's the first words you're going to say to the person on the end? Man, I've been waiting for a long time. Are you going to do that? You say, oh, I'd love to speak to you today. It's great to be able to talk to you. I'm glad someone's answered the phone. You know, it, we, can, we can jump into different directions, can't we? But ultimately, Paul wants us to live lives that please Jesus, that put a smile on his face. And so as we read through 1 Thessalonians, as we're thinking about that throughout this term, we're going to be thinking about that as well, as each part of that, because if we want to know what that looks like, then we know what that looks like by seeing what God has said to us in his word, the way that he's represented that, what he says to do. And as we look through 1 Thessalonians, it's got a lot to do with our faith, our hope and our love. Uh, But the good news too is that it's not about getting in God's good books, is it? You've got to be very careful of that. That's a very tricky thing that we can jump between, isn't it? There's a difference between living a life to please God and thinking that we're going to live life to get into his good books. Because you actually can't get into his good books. We're put into his good books by Jesus. Jesus is the one that puts us there. But once we're there, then we can live for him, can't we? Uh, there's another smile face. Uh, look what he says there in verse 4 of chapter 1. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. But actually, God takes us and puts us in there through Jesus. All we need to do is hold on as he takes us. And that's what faith is. Faith is holding on and saying, yes, Jesus, you're the one that puts me into God's good books. I'm now on his side. I'm in his place. He is now mine. I am now his. All because of Jesus. You've got to be careful of that, don't we? Because sometimes we can jump into still thinking that somehow... I'm going to get into God's good books by doing this. Now, we don't do stuff to get into his good books. We're already there in Jesus when we put our trust in him. What we do is we live lives to please God, to put a smile on Jesus' face. I don't know about you, but one of the great visions of anyone that you ever see is when you see either someone who's got a child or someone who loves a child and they see that that child is doing something really good and the smile that goes on their face. Look at Sam Ellie while Luke's playing the drums. There's a big smile on her face because she's saying, how good is it that my son's up there doing that? I'm loving that. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Uh, When you look and you see that and the smile that comes across your face when you see a child that you love doing stuff that's great. That's the picture here, isn't it? That God smiles on us when we are living to please him. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we look at 1 Thessalonians together, of what that life looks like. But one of the things that that life looks like is a life of encouragement. Because you see, the whole of 1 Thessalonians is a book of encouragement. And in that, 
we see one way to please God. One way to put a smile in his face is to be people who are people of encouragement. When was the last time that you deliberately and intentionally wrote to, spoke to, texted to, posted to someone to encourage them? When was the last one you received something like that? Now we can't control the receiving, can we? You can never control the receiving, guys, so never get hooked up on it. You never can. But you can control the giving. We can control that. We can be the ones that are the encouragers. And as we see in Paul's letter, how do we encourage? What are the things that we want to encourage? The things that we want to encourage are faith, hope and love. They're the things that we want to encourage in people. As we see people pleasing God in living their life in faithfulness, living their life in hope and living their life in love, they're the things that we want to encourage people in. You say, Paul, I don't know what to encourage them. Well, have a look and see where they're showing faith, where they're showing their hope, where they're living their lives in love for other people, encourage them in that. It's good to encourage people when they look good or those sorts of things, that's fine. But ultimately, you know, what's really deep down in us is when we live to please God, when we live to bring glory to God, when we live as if Jesus is in us and we're living to follow him, those are the things that really make the difference in our life, aren't they? And they're the things that we want to encourage in others around us faith, hope and love faith in Jesus and the cross and who he is and what he's done hope in life now and in the future and love lived it out Uh, this is uh, what a few people are getting tattooed on their arms at the moment around the place Uh, not that I'm encouraging tattoos but it's not a bad one is it? if you're going to get one it's not a bad one at all uh, but we want to encourage people in this, don't we? So how can we do that? Well, let's give, me, let's give you just a couple of quick examples of how you can do that. Uh, they're the things we want to encourage you in. You can write something. When was the last time you actually wrote a letter? It's challenging, isn't it? Typed, text. When was the last time you actually, actually wrote something down on a piece of paper? Now, I know there's a lady in our congregation who I think every week writes a letter or a card to someone just to encourage them. How good is it when you get that in the mail? You know, actually open up and you go, it's a real card. It's not an e-card. It's actually a real one on real paper. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? You can even hold on to it. You can feel it. There's something special about feeling, isn't there? There is something special about feeling. Now, you don't have to write on a piece of card if you don't want to write on a letter, but I think it's not a bad thing, is it? How about you write something to someone? My challenge is you this week, all right, is to write to at least one person. Now, if you can't write to one person, I'm going to tell you now you're slack. Seriously. I'm not going to hold back. I reckon we could do a lot more than one, but I'm going to challenge you to do one. Have a look round. And maybe not the person you normally encourage. Here's a challenge for you, isn't it? Not your best mate. Not your bestie. 
Not the person that you spend all your time with, uh, but someone, have a look around. Have a look around our church family and someone that maybe you haven't written to or spoken, you might not even spoken to. But do at least one. Write one. You can text, I don't mind. You can email if you really have to. You can Facebook post it if you think you need to. But just write it. Do it. At least one person this week, if not more people. Write it to more people. You know, how good would that be if we're doing that? And then don't stop this week. Think about it. Maybe you can even think, maybe I'll do it weekly. Maybe I'll start to think about how can I encourage people around me weekly. Paul says I'm encouraged daily. Uh, one person a week wouldn't be too hard for all of us, would it? In their faith, hope and love, that's what I want you to encourage them. As they're living lives to please God and put a smile on his face. You can write. Well, you can actually have a copy and tell someone too, couldn't you? You sit down with someone and say deliberately, I'm having a cup of coffee with you because I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in your faith, the way that you, you know, the way that you live out your life for Jesus. I just want to encourage you that just it's wonderful, isn't it? And you might not see something specifically that you want to do that with. Sit down and have a cup with them. Or a glass of water. Or a beer. Or don't even have to have something to drink. Actually, just go up and talk to them. Tell someone. Think about that this week. Talk, think about one person you can actually tell this week. Pray. Paul prays three times, doesn't he, through this? Three times he prays and he encourages people to pray for others and to keep praying for others. How about this week we pray for some people deliberately to encourage them to grow in their faith, hope and love. I want to pray for some other stuff that's going on with them, but maybe pray deliberately and specifically for that part of them, that they are living their lives to please God and put a smile on Jesus' face this week. Deliberately praying that for someone. We can do that, can't we? Write, tell, pray. Let me encourage you to do that this week. And if you can only do it to one, great, but I reckon you can go even further than one, guys. Paul's letter is a great encouragement to the uh, Thessalonians. It's an encouragement them to live their lives to please God, to live their lives to put a smile on Jesus' face, to live their lives uh, in faith, hope and love, to live their lives to grow, show and go, as we're going to see as we go throughout this letter. We can encourage each other in that, can't we? Where we see people growing, where we see people showing, where we see people going and sharing the love of Jesus. Let's build one another up. Let's encourage one another in that. As together we're out there as well, aren't we? Together we want to put a smile on Jesus' face. Together we want to please God. What an amazing thing that would be, wouldn't it, as we get out and do that together. Let me encourage you to go out and encourage each other this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that as we look into your word and as we read your word and as we uh, see those that loved you and served you many, many years ago, I want to encourage those around them to do the same. 
And we thank you for the, the letter of 1 Thessalonians. We thank you for Paul. Thank you that uh, he loved those people deeply and wrote to encourage them, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that as uh, we here in this little town of Evans Head and this community of, of Ward, Woodburn and Broadie and Corakai and Wardell and this little small part of the world, Lord, where your people here, that we can seek to live a life of faith, hope and love that lives a life to please you, Lord. And, Lord, we'll live to encourage one another to keep doing the same. Pray, Lord, that by your spirit you'll motivate us, encourage us and enable us to do that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.